is the Enter Sad Men podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own. Reviewed, rated, and ranked. Well, hello again, and welcome to the Enter Sad Men podcast. Richard here. I'm with Mark and Steve as ever. And here we are, presenting you number 72, episode number 72 of, uh, of our podcast. On this episode, we are focusing in on solo artists. We've titled it I Am I'm Me, and uh, we've picked three albums from individuals who were in a band, but then for whatever reason, and some of those reasons will become clear later on in this episode, they decided to go solo. Uh, as ever, we are on all, the ver- all your various podcast platforms, and please, please do visit us on entersadmen.co.uk when you can find out all of the episodes, all of our reviews of the albums, and of course, the target that all of these podcasts are aiming at, which is to put all of these albums in order in our hard rock and heavy metal hall of fame. So we'd better get on then with the the episode and uh, the three albums that we have chosen. So Steve, why don't you introduce the album that you selected for this episode yeah so for this episode um well i had a short list of two actually um the first of which fairly obviously was going to be diamond dave and um skyscraper because we've done eat him and smile not so long ago thought nope we'll um we'll save the big man till later um and i've just gone for an old fave doro pesh of the warlock parish but well her first post warlock album kind of um first solo <laughs> album obviously not because she got a band with her but you know what i mean so yeah so i've chosen her first album beyond her warlock incarnation which is from 1989 force majeure mark yeah and a good choice um uh, an album i actually haven't listened to very much uh if at all maybe once i don't know um well i went slightly uh, left field didn't i did you so, ever <laughs> and i went through all the obvious ones ob- you know obviously um including one that uh, Richard will talk about in a moment. Um, But I went for a man who had already scaled the heights of commercial success in one of the biggest bands in the world. They just weren't a hard rock or heavy metal band. So I've gone for the guitarist with Duran Duran, Andy Taylor, who released a melodic AOR album called Thunder in 1987. Richard? Yeah, and we're all fairly tightly grouped, aren't we, in the... what, 86 through to 90? 1990 was, was my choice. I went for an album by Mr. Robert Plant, uh, ex of uh, uh, Led Zeppelin, wasn't it? He was in, I think. Yes, so uh, it's his fifth studio album, uh, released in March 1990, and it's called Manic Nirvana. One of my favourites of his. Uh, so we'll get into the various tracks and the background and the stories behind the albums in a minute. But first, let's have a little taster of some of the highlights across these three records. Oh, 
Okay, so there you go. Hope those whetted your appetite. And as usual, we review these albums in the order of release. And that means Mark is going first with Andy Taylor and Thunder. Mark. Opening album sleeve notes. Okay, so before I start talking about this album, you two were a little surprised when I announced it mm. at the end of the last episode, weren't you? What was what were you thinking? What were you expecting? Ignoring what you actually discovered, what were you actually expecting? <laughs> Yeah, that's the point, isn't it? It's books and covers, isn't it? Books mm. and covers. I mean, it's, you're immediately told to listen to an album by a bloke who was with Duran Duran. I mean, that's 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 all that's all I heard. That's the only thing that was in my head. And I thought, okay, fucking Rio. And I'm thinking, all right, if, if, if Rio with a bit of guitar. So that's where I was. That's where I was. But me being the open-minded fellow I was, I couldn't wait. <laughs> Richard, <laughs> trepidation or thrill? Well, no, I always knew he was a bit of a rocker, but I didn't know this album. Mm. And I mean, that was clear from when you think, you know, it just preceded this, didn't it? His work with the Power Station, mm. uh, which was you could you could tell he he liked to to turn the distortion pedal up a bit, even on that. So I was intrigued. I was intrigued, and it's been yeah, it's been a fascinating listen. Enjoyed it. Good. All right. Well, look, let's uh, let's get uh, to the nuts and bolts of this particular record. Uh, the previous album he'd been involved in before this was Duran Duran's Notorious, an album he walked out of after they'd recorded four songs. Um, by that time, the band was barely on speaking terms with one another. And I think given the lack of guitars that had, you know, obviously defined duran duran's career to that point i think he was just a bit hacked off having done the power station uh, album and thought no i can do something that actually gives me a bit more joy than this so he was gone uh, from duran duran and uh, he had already moved to america by that point and he'd linked up with a guy called steve jones who older members uh, of the listening fraternity of this podcast will remember as the guitarist possibly uh, one of only two really talented, musically talented members of the Sex Pistols, him and Paul Cook. So Steve Jones and Andy Taylor forged this sort of friendship, partnership, and decided that they were going to collaborate on this album. Now, we've encountered Andy Taylor, of course, before on the podcast because he produced the Almighty's second album, Soul Destruction, um, with some help from Steve Jones. So this is a partnership that we've already come across on the podcast before, but this is the first time we've heard them collaborate in terms of composition and recording. This was released on, as far as anybody can work out, May the 18th, 1987. It's very hard to find any information about this album. It was recorded at the back end of 86 and into the early part of 87. Bear in mind then that we are in the territory now of the monster records from the likes of White Snake, Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Kiss, Guns N' Roses, this is big time hard rock all over the world and into the fray walks the hairy lad from Duran Duran with this which he releases on MCA it runs at 42 minutes it's nine tracks long produced by Andy Taylor and Steve Jones and a guy called George Tutko and it was recorded at the record plant in Los Angeles um, he did release another album after this called Dangerous uh, didn't do as well as this one. This one uh, charted at number 61 in the UK. And amazing, actually, it charted 46 on the Billboard 200, largely probably because he'd had three relatively minor hits with uh, songs that had featured in movies uh, in the in the preceding year. 
cast of thousands on this album. Uh, Andy Taylor lead vocals and guitars, Steve Jones on guitars, and then uh, half a dozen very, very highly regarded session musicians. Uh, Mickey Curry on drums, Patrick O'Hearn on bass guitar, Brett Tuggle on keyboards, Paulino De Costa on percussion, Mark Volman on backing vocals, along with Howard Kalen. The bands that they've been involved in included, among many others, Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, Fleetwood Mac, David Lee Roth. I mean, it's a who's who of sort of uh, melodic-ish rock down the ages. So, uh, as I say, nine tracks, five on side one, four on side two. And I suppose the only real claim to fame of this album is that it inspired, in part, the change of name for a band called Terraplane. And that's it. did you guys think i'm not surprised it did so well in the states because it's clearly aimed at that isn't it as you say i could hear lots of those influences of that time the albums you mentioned and aerosmith tom petty john mellencamp there's a lot of americana in there i was pleasantly surprised i wouldn't say it's an album that's knocked my socks off but it's kept good company over this week there's no no duffers on there um well, in terms there of is one well, I <laughs> more than one <laughs> two then Steve. <laughs> no, I, 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 no I, i've 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 quite liked it quite pleasant yes. quite a quite pleasant company go on oh, steve dear. go on go on no, I've had a couple of glasses of wine, so I'm feeling a bit fiery. I've forgotten about the almighty connection. I must admit, I had completely forgotten about that. Yeah. So going back to my early point, I actually couldn't... I, the, the people involved having listened to it is neither here nor there. You know, it's a collaboration between a bloke from between a bloke and Duran Duran and a bloke from the Pistols. That's not the point. Um, be, be, it's just not the point. I mean, they could be from Boyzone and S Club 7 for all I care. My problem is just... The music, my problem is the music, which just leaves me completely and utterly underwhelmed. And what makes that worse is knowing that, as Richard alluded to, Taylor is a massive rock fan. You know, he went into Duran Duran almost by accident, as in that was the wrong genre he was supposed to be in, you know? Um, you know, he talks about going to see Van Halen when they, you know, upstage Sabbath on the 78 tour and stuff like that. He's a massive rock fan, you know, met Van Halen, 
Eddie um, and all that sort of stuff. So, so I'm, so I'm expecting more. I'm just expecting more. And to me, this is just an incredibly safe album. Very tame. The, the, the biggest criticism I can give it is it's almost done by people who don't quite understand hard rock and they've not brought any of that rock passion to it. And that's what and that's what we all ask, isn't it, of the artists we love, you know, some passion. So it's it's a cocktail of pomp and glam and, and yeah, the AOR, but a few splashes of power, which is quite lightweight, if I'm honest. Not many riffs. I mean, riffs so unmemorable, I've forgotten them before I'd even played it. Um it's it's not it's not unlikable um in any way, shape, or form. It's just utterly forgettable. And the key that most of this has played in is so depressing. I don't know. It just it just ticked so few boxes, and there is and there's more than one horror on here. Yeah, there's just a sameness about it, Mark. That just doesn't. Um, I've given it enough listens. Christ, I, I, mate, that's where I am. That's fine. That's fine. I'm not. You know, I'm not Andy Taylor's representative on no, Earth. No, no, no. You know, no. it's uh, these these albums are as we find them, and yeah, you know, as we will come on to, I've got issue an issue with one of the other albums as well. So mm. yeah, it's. I think they are. I think they are quite provocative choices. All three, all, all three out. Yeah, I agree. Very much agree. You know? Yeah. So I, I'm not surprised that I, I. I figured if I was guessing, I'd think. I. I think the reaction I've got from you two is the reaction I was kind of expecting from both of you. Yeah. Um, I thought Steve, you would either absolutely adore it or you would hate it. Yeah. There was no middle ground. Um, but anyway, let's get on and listen to it, and we can talk through some of the tracks. I have a feeling this may be quite a short conversation. But <laughs> um, I, I, cards on the table. I really like this album because I find it quite catchy and poppy. And there, there is a there is a time and a place for pop rock. And he, I think, kind of gets the the guts of that right yeah. a lot. Oh, mate, mate that's not your thing, Mark, Mark. I couldn't agree more. I could not yeah. agree more. And I was thinking halfway through this, I was thinking, you know what? I quite fancy some White Sister right now. Yeah. because I'm in that mood, but yeah. I want it done better. So yeah. th that's that's where I was, yeah. But I, mean, I think it's, it's interesting, Steve, because if you, you're putting this into the same sort of bucket as White Sister, whereas I was thinking more of sort of Quartz and Q5 and, and, and that kind of end, you know? Well, and, and a fast so, way I had as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I'm quite surprised, you know, you, you, you're quite so um, strongly against it. Mm. Well, let's get on and um, give it a little listen. So, the, well, look, the album starts off, and if you thought you were going to get a big old slice of Kickstart My Heart, pre-Kickstart My Heart, with the opening to this, with the motorbikes and what have you, um, you're sort of slightly, slightly disappointed, I should think. But what you do get is a really bouncy, hooky, riffy opening track called I Might Lie, which has got a chorus that I just think just sticks in your ear it's one of those that i, I wake i get up singing i get up singing this get up singing the next one there are a couple through this that i just think just make me happy and um and this is one of them and the other thing that's worth saying i think is having walked into duran duran how did simon Le Bon end up as the singer because i tell you now mm. andy taylor's got a better voice than he has whether you like this music or not i think his voice is better than simon Le Bon's, but that's a debate for the uh, mm. for the Duran Duran podcast, I guess. <laughs> because it, is it because he's got a couple of backing vocals vocalists, doesn't he? But I mean, it's, yeah, the, some very hooky choruses and uh, the vocal melodies are, I think, very full. No, I made here for this opener. So, you know, who'd have known? I, I actually think mm. this is a good start to the album. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I like this. Yeah, and no, I do like this. 
funnily enough, it's not the song that sticks in my head. That'll be called Life Goes On, and that's for all the wrong reasons, as you well know. But, yes. <laughs> um, but, but no, no, this is fine. This is absolutely fine. A bit rocked by numbers, but it's fine. Yeah, decent. It's hooky, isn't it? It's hooky. Mm. And, um, if it carried, this is my track of the album. If it carried on like this, you know, we, we might be getting somewhere. So what are the other ones then, Steve, that, that you think are, you know, sort of pass whatever the the checklist is that to, to be above average or at least average which are, which are those well i've got very few i've got bringing me down and thunder are the only two that are um above six and a half for me and i've got one that actually suffers worse than life goes on and oh my god oh yeah oh yeah 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 it drives me insane um and that's trembling um oh really that's which is one of the which is the one of the most agitating songs <laughs> i've ever come across um, well, it just provoked me in an incorrect way. It pushed buttons it shouldn't. Well, of course, the, the three that you've picked as your your strong. Here we go. <laughs> no, no, no. The three that you've picked as your strongest tracks are the three tracks that most of the critics picked out as okay. the strongest tracks on the album as well. So, uh, yeah, for what we for for whatever that's worth. I was going to um, say, you... given our given our slightly sort of distorted view of critics, I'm not yes, not exactly. flattered, but yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> but but it's, I, I guess what that says is that yeah, there is a there's probably and I would say they are the three strongest tracks on the album as well mm-hmm. yeah i think the next the next one after i might lie don't let me die young i quite like that okay. as well i think that kind of carries on where mm. yeah this, it, this is where i was getting melancamp this is real yeah. proper americana stuff isn't it this yeah you could yeah it's melancamp there's a bit of tom petty isn't there you know it's, it's that kind of that kind of vibe going on but again i think it's got a really good hooky chorus you know mm. you're right steve they the guitars are never particularly heavy but no they're there yeah with well, this song funny enough is one that i thought was perhaps just a little bit too heavy for greece when it gets into <laughs> the chorus you know but it also sounds quite like something that jimmy Eat world might go on to do but just minus the pace and that's yeah. i've got a slight issue with the pace on this album it's all very one paced it's quite interesting though isn't it that it is a melodic at best aor pop whatever you want to call it it's mm. a melodic album mm. and you would have thought i mean i don't know have you have you two listened to steve jones's um solo album fire and gasoline no ever no? no so that's much heavier than this much heavier and far more i suppose in keeping what you with what you might expect him to come out with having been in the pistols and done all of that stuff um, and i'm quite surprised that this is as melodic as it is because i would have expected steve jones to have hardened the edges a little bit but he doesn't i mean his les paul drives a lot of this but um mm. but it's I, I really like Don't Let which Me Die do, which, does, which does bring me back to Fastway. You'd have expected Fastway to be heavier just because of the personnel involved, wouldn't you? For the yeah. very, very same yeah. reason. Yeah. yeah. There's no doubt, though, that in my... I mean, <laughs> there's no doubt that side one is stronger than side two. And in your yeah. world, Steve, that doesn't say a lot, given that the third track that we get is Life Goes On, which is, um, wow. I think, wow. Just wow. <laughs> And, and not wow for the right reasons. No. It is an absolute shocker, um, which is usually a cue for Richard to say quite sheepishly, <laughs> I quite like this. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've put, it's, it's the reappearance of the word inoffensive. I, yeah. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't rug me up the wrong way. And I just, um, like some of the ballads, I, I think it's, it, it's just, it's, a, it's an inoffensive ballad. But, it, is, there a, but is, there, is there a chore around the house, Richard, that this one's appropriate for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Emptying the bins, maybe. Yeah. 
bit of vacuuming. Yeah. <laughs> Life goes on as a ballad, and it's... I mean, I don't know what he's thinking. Maybe he's thinking this is kind of his ticket to the to the you know the charts. I, I, it's just it's such a dirge. Oof. It really is just an awful, awful dirge. And I don't know what they're thinking. Put it on as putting it on there as track three because someone needs shooting for that decision. Mm -hmm. um, but it does it does redeem itself with uh, and you've already mentioned this track steve um thunder at track mm -hmm. four which is i think a really uh, it's got a, again i mean i'm gonna keep saying this it's a great hook line it's you know a great riff and it's and i think it's delivered well it's it's not going to score a 10 or anywhere near it but it's i think it's a perfectly good song it's it is a very poppy song though isn't it even with the guitars behind oh yeah Clearly aimed at the American market and the synthesizer notes, the tinkly synthesizer notes, but it firmly in the mid '80s, don't they? But it's, yeah, I think it's the you know, closest uh, Steve Jones gets to a good old heavy chug, isn't it? So yeah. it uh, charges along fairly nicely. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not remarkable, but it's, it's it's nice and catchy, as I say. But it's, it's one of my two or three uh, better tracks off this album, certainly. When I read, when I kind of picked it up again, doing the research for what I was going to bring to this episode. I really liked Trembling, but it I tired of it very, very quickly, um, which I can't say for Night Train. I think Night Train's actually quite a good song. It's got, um, I think, quite a good... It's got. It's really atmospheric. Um, uh, it's another one of those on the... It's another one of those on the road songs, isn't it? Mm. I think it's slightly menacing about what he's doing, what, what he's what he's kind of threatening to do when he gets there, gets home. But anyway, yeah, I quite like Night Train. I, I think Night Train's all right. It, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, just... if it, it, I mean, it's um, it finishes well, finishes better than it started. It's that really unimaginative rhythm section. It just kind of reminds me, uh, it's sort of incidental to the type of music that which for which Taylor found his fame. All a bit plod, plod, plod like the Duran Duran backbeat was. Uh, and the backbeat was of most of those early 80s pop bands. It's really just kind of straight ahead. Um, and if I'm honest, I find this really tiresome. Don't you think it's interesting, though, that he, he leaves Duran Duran hmm. because he felt that the guitars were just completely irrelevant in the hmm. and, and he was fed up with the synthesizers and the drum hmm. machines and all the rest of it. And yet here we've got a, a yeah. song that actually Duran Duran could do. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that, and that's that's my whole thing about this whole project. There's that he could he could have been so much more ambitious. That's my real bugbear with this. It's almost like a missed opportunity. I mean, the fact that I'm not a big fan of it, you know, like he gives a toss. But I just think it's um, oh, missed opportunity. I really do. He had nothing to lose, did he? That's no, the thing. No, so, definitely not. So why not go for something completely unexpected and unpredictable? Because I, I suppose he was just chasing. He'd had three minor hits off, you know, minor singles. And maybe he was just kind of thinking, well, let's see if we can exploit that and harness that. I think he was after a market. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, Steve, tell us. We've, we're turning the record over now. So, tell us why you hate trembling so much. Spells, how long have you got? It's. Um. I mean, if if life goes on was was goo. This is this is worse because it's horribly, horribly lazy. That tune just does not work for me. It's the worst. This is the worst of kind of early eighties pop music. That mm. horrible stabby synth. And given that this album came out in what, what was it eighty seven? Eighty seven. Yeah. Fuck me. Taylor's had a few years to appreciate that this just doesn't wash. He even sounds flat a little bit. 
Um, he does, yeah. And I'm thinking the guitar style might save it, but it doesn't. It's just such an annoying ditty. <laughs> Can't have it. How Jones, anyone? Well, yeah. Nick, well, yeah, I, I, sure. yeah, rock set. <laughs> mm. yeah. Well, yeah, keep, keep naming the bands, lads, because that's exactly the level we're at. Shit bands. Yeah. yeah. Well, if if uh, Trembling was bringing the album down, just bringing me down, bring it down. That's a goodie. Opens nicely. You think we're going to roll along and it slows up a little bit, but um, chorus is not bad. I just find this. It's, maybe I just needed this after Trembling, but um, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, I like this. And this is where I was getting the real Tom Petty vibe, and I do like the chorus. I think they they have yeah. there's some really hooky choruses through this album. Mm. No, I'm with you there, Richard. I, I I love bringing me down. And if I'm being absolutely honest, I love half of this album, and I can I'm not bothered about the other half of it. When it comes to the scoring, I I don't think I'm probably going to be as ruthless and brutal as you are, Steve. But I don't think I'll be all that far away mm. to be honest. Anyway, bringing me down goes into Broken Window, which is I think the only track on the album that was written entirely by Andy Taylor and uh, it's just for me it's instantly forgettable yeah I, I couldn't care less about it really could <laughs> I've got I've got Chris Chris Rear that opening it just sounds and, and there's even a few bells in there it makes me start thinking of driving home for Christmas I think it's a I think it's terrible yeah it's very flat isn't it I've got I've got I'm not memorable okay well look let's stop talking about it before we forget what we're listening to and, <laughs> right okay so let's 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 check off some absolutely fantastic rock instrumentals uh orion let's start with orion shall we let's go coast to coast anyone <laughs> I, I could go on but i think you get the drift i think french guitar which closes out this album probably isn't going to make that pantheon <laughs> it wouldn't make a top thousand would it i forgot about that in my litany of shite yeah this is this is this is right up there or down there terrible it's, terrible well, don't get it. The, Don't get it at all. The, yeah, I know. But the thing, the, yeah, it is terrible, but it's it's kind, it's almost sort of inoffensively terrible. Yeah. Right? yeah. I, I've got nothing that wound me up. I mean, no. this is just his attempt at uh, the theme for the next Top Gun, isn't it? I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Sort of Jan Hammer or whatever. But if um, I'm being if I'm being honest in my scoring, it's below average and therefore gets a below average score. I can't I can't hide from that. I, I'm getting it's I, I simply I, as I repeat, I don't get it. I've I've no idea why you would put this on. Strangely enough, his next album, Dangerous, didn't chart at all anywhere. Ah. <laughs> so yeah. and I've not listened to it, so I don't know what that's like. And Maybe so the creative juices had uh, had dried up. Who knows? But. I think it's a real shame because I think I think you're right, Steve. It is a missed opportunity, but it's a missed opportunity that had he gone in a slight, just a slightly different direction with it, I think could have been a really big album for him. Mm. I mean, if he was sitting on this uh, in this podcast, you know, as a guest, he would probably say, "Well, listen, lads, it hit 46 in the Billboard 200. Getting into the Billboard 200 is quite tough, so it did all right, and mm. it got into the top, you know, top 60 or top well, near." nearly got into the top 60 yeah, yeah. in the uk so it's kind of charted and so arguably it did do all right so what are you going on about the, the point is it did all right because it's andy taylor of duran duran i yeah, suspect definitely and time in a, and as you said mark, mark time in a place um did yeah. this was the right music for that period and um when you look as lovely as he does he is a good looking or was a good, looking, a good boy. looking boy was a good looking know? boy certainly yeah, yeah. And, and he would still feed off you know, I'm sure there were elements of people who liked that early sort of new romantic, um, you know, so, kind of new wave music who would have moved on and enjoyed rock music anyway. So, you know, they've gone well, with we it talk, in some yeah, cases. Richard said he's aiming, he was going for a market. We've said, 
you know, he's gone for the commercial stuff. Do, do you think, and we'll never know, because it's only ever going to be speculation, but maybe he was hoping that it would be the crossover album that would bring the Duranis to him. You know, yeah. Maybe he was going for something that was not going to alienate the the kids who bought the Duran records, and that, you know, maybe they would come to him. If I mean, yeah, and maybe that is what happened. Maybe that's why it did mm. relatively well in the charts. Yeah. But, um, okay. So highs and lows. Then uh, let's well, let's keep Steve's powder dry, and <laughs> let's start with you, Richard. Then we'll do me, and then then we'll leave we'll leave um, the coda on this particular album <laughs> to Steve, <laughs> Richard. All right. So my low. Uh, I'm going to give to Trembling, um, just because that that did wind me up the most. My high, I will give to the opening track, I Might Lie. Okay. Um, so my uh, my high is the same as yours, I Might Lie. And yeah, my, my shit show on this album is, without a shadow of a doubt, life goes on. So, uh, Steve... Uh, mm. Where did you get to? Well, I'll tell you what What I would say is I gave three tracks over seven. So, you know, I think that's pretty good. The, the top of the shot was I Might Lie, but I gave the rest are obviously less than that. And I gave three in the fours, which is unquestionably below average. Um, and the pick of those three, yeah, like Richard, Jesus, it's just annoying even mentioning the word, trembling. Okay, well, there we are. We'll find out exactly how Andy Taylor does with Thunder a bit later on. I suspect Richards and my scores might drag it up a little bit, but clearly the scores that are going to come from Steve are going to be torpedo-like um, uh, under the waterline. I think that's where Andy Taylor's going to behold this evening. So uh, there we go. All right. Uh, well, let's move on. And let's move on to, well, you can't beat a bit of German metal, can you? <laughs> and you certainly can't beat a bit of German metal when it's done by somebody as lovely as Doro Pesh. So, how are you going to get over the first track, Steve? <laughs> the problem is, it's just this massive bloody elephant print on this album, isn't it? And it's, um, oh my God, for anyone who doesn't know, this is Force Majeure, and the first track is a cover, and not any old cover, and we'll come to it in a second. <laughs> it's buggeration. Opening album sleeve notes. Doro, bless her. Doro Pesh, Force Majeure, um, released in February, on February the 1st, 1989, um, recorded the previous year, and, and it went out on Vertigo, producer Joey Balin. It was under the third album that he had produced, the second one being Triumph and Agony, which was the last one with Warlock. And that's where we are with this, with this project. So Warlock had just done four albums um, and effectively wound up. Um, so this is Doro's this is Doro's first album under her name, but it feels like a Warlock album, um, and it's bound to for that very reason. The only reason it isn't a Warlock album is, if anyone doesn't know the story, it's a legal dispute after Triumph and Agony, Warlock's fourth album, which saw Pesh lose control of the name of the band. Peter Zimmerman is the band's ex-manager and chief prick, sued for the band's name and merchandise and all that jazz, um, and won, so left Warlock without a name. So... Um, and, but given that Doro was writing this stuff straight off the bat from Triumph and Agony tour, um, while those legal proceedings were playing out, this is rightly looked upon as Warlock's fifth and final album. And I think actually on one of the first cuttings of this, at the top, it had a little sticker on it that said Doro plus Warlock or something like that. So they lost the Warlock moniker, but they didn't lose the Warlock feel, um, unlike the next album. We'll come to that, I'm sure, as we talk about it. So this is, as I said, it's on Vertigo. Joey Balin, um, who had been with her on Triumph and Agony, joint songwriter and produced this. Um, at, at Victory Studios in Pennsylvania. She was now backed up by 
um, three Americans, John Levin on guitars, Tommy Henriksen on bass, um, and Bobby Rondinelli on drums. It didn't chart well at all. Sales, info, not entirely sure. It's 13 tracks, um, which by any measure is too many, although one of them doesn't really count. And in actual fact, it only weighs in at 46 minutes. So therefore, you can just about get away with 13 tracks. 12 of them are real. Although you've got the, the tiny one at the end and the shit one at the start, but we'll come to that. What I love about this album, of course, is it's Doro, um, who I love to bits, and I proposed to her if I wasn't married, and she wanted me, but she doesn't, I would imagine. But it's like the, the point about this album is it's like it's like the world of music is evolving at a real pace. Where are we? Late eighties, falling apart at the seams. Some might say with the onset of grunge, change everywhere. Yet Doro is just stuck in this absolutely fantastic mid eighties time warp, and. The world is just such a better place for it with her power rock, her majestic voice. So it's kind of the rock goddess, you know, the, the metal queen on a cusp. Um, and she would go off and have a really great, successful solo career. And this was kind of the start of it, although her next album was called Doro, which kind of suggests that this is, as I say, this is Warlock's fifth album. And you know what? It's a great album. I mean, it, it goes on too long. It gets a bit samey. But fuck me, there's a, there's a, there's a big flaw. Straight away, straight off the bat, ain't there? Yeah, there is, um, and we'll we'll come on to that. We're we're going to have to talk about bookends, aren't we? Um, <laughs> yes. But you said uh, that you know the the wheels were about to come off anyway because of of grunge. Actually, I think what I've discovered through the podcast is the wheels have already come off. Yeah. What we were listening to around from probably from. 88 onwards was not all that great and so you're right this is a like a little oasis of really good german heavy metal mm. done by somebody who absolutely loves what she does and um, you know we, we talked to her a long time ago now but she does she she absolutely loves this stuff she loves doing it she's put all of her life into this literally all of her life no relationships this is she lives breathes this music and she does it really well and i love her for it and i love her music and i have absolutely adored all 
of this apart from two richard as an album i think it's got real variety for the first two thirds it does become a bit samey in the in that final third i think have i heard that song before there's some there's some good good high points as you say some real real energy i mean she really does put everything into these doesn't she yeah i'm with you richard i must admit i think um cry wolf was where i was beginning to cry out i've had enough yeah really yeah like yeah Um, likewise yeah yeah um, but that's, that's, that's not to denigrate the two after it. I've just kind of had enough. So we've got six tracks on each side. Well, it's seven if, if you want to count that little bumfuck bit at the end, which doesn't which we're not going to. The three takeaways from side one, and we'll come, we'll, we'll talk through the tracks in a minute, is um, it's got the best track on it, in my opinion, and therefore I'm right, so it has. It's got um, a wonderful, uh, the first kind of recognition of Doro the singer, the, 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 not the Doro the absolute warmonger, which is what she always kind of portrayed herself as. And there's a beautiful little sign-off on, on side one, um, which shows a different side to Dora that she would take forward a lot. But there's only one real talking point on side one, and that's the start, um, which is a cover. There are three unforgivable sins with a, with a, with a cover. Well, two, really. What One is um, the choice of cover. And <laughs> unfortunately, A Whiter Shade of Pearl is one of the shittiest songs ever. I, I'd rather she'd done Snooker Loopy, if I'm honest. I just think it's... <laughs> Uh, she'd have done a, a right good job with that. The second is why have a cover on an album at all, which is a kind of minor issue. And, and she does love covers and she does lots of collaborations. So I kind of get that. Third, third, what the, what the fucking hell are you starting an album with it for? I know, I know. I mean, am I wrong? No, you're not. No, that's the bit that I've struggled with is... Like you, Steve, I can forgive Doro an awful lot. Frankly, she could she could fart into a microphone, and I mean, as long as there was a melody behind it, I think I'd be all right with it. Um, but um, <laughs> but I, but I enough, just... in, enough of your perversions, <laughs> yes, Mark. I'm just getting a hard on. <laughs> but I'm not sure I can forgive her this. I I I have no idea why this is here. I have no idea why it's on the album at all. No. I have no idea why it's why it is track one. When the second track would have been a blinding yeah. Yeah, absolutely. track. Absolutely. And you just go, what? so there must be a reason. And, and where I got to was, you know, she is a woman who is not, she's not stupid. She is very canny, very in tune as well with her own audience. So, you know, she she's very close emotionally to her, her audience. In a way, I think that a lot of front men and front women aren't. And I can only assume that the fact she hasn't hasn't given it to them is she must have a reason for that. And I kind of wish that when we'd spoken to her, we'd asked her the question. Yeah, I know. I've got, a, I've got a slight suspicion, and I'm probably miles off course, but I've got a slight suspicion that it's something to do with the new audience that they were about to... Because they'd gone to America to record this. Um, they were in Pennsylvania doing it. She now had a backing band of Americans. I mean, Price Pokal Harum weren't even an American band, but you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of got that kind of transatlantic... It's known on everywhere in the world, isn't it? And she's yeah. looking to do something. I'm, I'm thinking out loud. I honestly don't know. Um, but it's a, it's a chronic misjudgment. Um, on a colossal scale because it does bring that because it puts you puts in a really bad mood at the start of the album and in fact you know you um when you you announced it and i said that's great i'm really looking forward to hearing it you went well don't get too excited you've got to get past track one first yeah richard don't do anything for you does it oh no 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 <laughs> why and why start with it uh, yeah you just got to get over it let's talk about the the rest because you say i mean you saved my well, soul I mean, Go on then, yeah, you know, talk about it because it's the track of the album, as I've just told you. So, um... <laughs> well, not not mine. It's no. up there, but uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, the start could almost be, 
it's almost Ramstein, a bit light Ramstein, but there's that, <laughs> there's that real sort of industrial sort of percussive start. Would have been a far better opener. Yeah. It's got a lovely groove, a drive, uplifting chorus, got a good finish. And isn't Doro um, sounding absolutely on point here? Yeah. Her, her voice, yeah. It, it's, it's kind of Jap, Joplin meets Ford meets anyone else who's good. Um, and it's just, it is. There's a vibrato in her. She just never sounded better. And I think, I mean, that paired with "Well Gone Wild," which is yes. my, which is my okay. favourite. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I think the energy and passion she's got in that, and just the nice little fills and changes. what a so, bread basket. As a, yeah, as a pair a of songs, yeah, it's, they're they're corkers. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Mark? I, I love Save My Soul. Um, it's the best track on the album for me as well, but it is pushed very hard by a lot of others. Yeah, so yeah. there's a huge amount of consistency on this album. The other thing, just I, mean, I don't, let's not hark on about A White Shade of Pale, but she also then went and called, that she released a best of set a few years later, which she also called A White Shade of Pale, and it was on it. So mm. it, it clearly means something to her. Mm. Don't know what. Mm -hmm. Anyway, yeah. but no, Save My Soul, World Gone Wild, Mission of Mercy. I mean, bloody hell. That's just, it's a triple whammy of stuff. Yeah. Mission of Mercy. I mean, when she starts off with that almost sort of childlike opening vocal, and she, then she enters the Inferno, goes big again. I just love the two sides of Doro's voice, which we'll talk about, you know, in a few, in a, in a minute or two. I love that kind of combo of emotion and power with the gorgeous solo um, wedded into a hard rock track from John Levin. Um, yeah. Inspired choice on guitar. Um, Menachetti would have been proud of some of the stuff he's done on this. And also you find yourself name checking all those great 80s, um, bands like Priest and Accept, obviously Warlock, obviously Y and T. It's just a, it's just a name call of the best bits of um, of mid eighties rock, isn't it? And um, those three tracks in particular, to me, are the absolute backbone of this album. I do like Angels with Dirty Faces, which yeah. is track five. Tommy Henriksen on bass, take a bow. Um, he underpins all of those tracks with with authority. That one in particular, side one take off the, the track one those four songs can power in there and the thing about doro is she can write a hook line mm. oh my god i mean it just lifts you doesn't it and carries you through the the, the entire song each song has a, a really really good hook line to it i mean this is you're right this is a warlock album this you know ignore the name on the door over the door this is this is a warlock album yeah so what about so what about signing off side one then with beyond the trees Love it. What did you think of that? Okay, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, because I think it gives her a chance to showcase her voice. It's a beautiful little song. I think it's done really well. There, mm -hmm. there were all sorts of ways that she could have taken that song, mm -hmm. and each one of those paths could have ended in disaster. But actually, yeah. I think she's managed to pick her way the right way through, and I think she delivers a right little gem at the end of this side. I really do. My goodness, she can sing. Can't she? I mean, it's, as you say, I mean, it's it, very, very delicate. I, it was one of those songs because it's it, it's quite short, isn't it? A couple of minutes, and mm -hmm. I, I was always sad that it ended. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, she said it was. Um, she said it had been a real challenge to start singing slow songs. Clearly, something she'd not done much of earlier in her career. But on the previous album, of course, for Emma, I know it's hardly a ballad, but she she looks upon that as some sort of turning point. You know, proved mm. to herself that she actually had a beautiful song, a voice that she could do slow stuff. Um, well, she said that to us, didn't she? When, yeah. when we spoke to her, she said that for Emma had been the kind of that that had been that key that unlocked that for her, and and this is another, and she and that's the thing for somebody who finds clearly found that quite hard. You know, for Emma, and then beyond the trees, she's delivered two absolutely brilliant 
and she's got uh, she's got several more in her back catalog. She plays yeah. this live as well. She plays this live, and you can imagine you go to a Warlock show. Sorry, you go to a Doro show. I mean, it's pretty intense stuff. But she loves you know bringing it back and and shoving this out. She's obviously got a massive soft spot for it. And let's face it, if you can sing that well, you know why not why not advertise the fact? Yeah. Side two starts all right. I, there's a it kicks off with a couple of tracks called Hard Times and Hellraiser. I'm still where I want to be. I'm thinking this is a cracking start. This is old school Warlock. Yeah, and as you say, I do like Hendrickson's bass. He really does uh, give a firm foundation to a number of these tracks. I mean, it mm-hmm. really comes comes through again on on Hellraiser. Yeah, I, I like that. I like the start, sort of stripped back, and then yeah, Hard Times is a is a is a classic side two opener, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. charges a lot. Another brilliant song with another brilliant hook line, another brilliant riff line. They just keep coming. And uh, I'm going to generalise wildly now, but this is, I think, absolutely stereo, uh, absolutely typical of German heavy metal in the 80s. It was all about <laughs> yeah. power and melody. And those German bands, except Scorpions, Warlock, Halloween, they all did this. They all did this really well. I mean, I, I, I love I love Hard Times. I think it's great. Got but then, lovely, of course, um... it's got some lovely little motifs guitar motifs running through it as well but then she goes all talking of german bands she then goes all creator on us with i am what i am which is um rattles along at a right old thrashy pace um it's, it's not an amazing piece of work great guitar solo and it's only short only two and a half minutes long but it's definitely a step down i think and then we come to cry wolf and i've actually thought okay this is track 10 and by any measure track 10 should should finish this it's, it's nice and chilled and it's stripped back and it builds to a, a nice chorus love some of the drum fills in this um, special mention to Ron Dinelli. Rich will know more about him because he was in Blue Oyster Cult, wasn't he? Um, and Rainbow, I think. Am I right? Yeah. Um, and it's a builder. Builds like a Y&T song, the kind of Y&T song they would sign off an album with. And that's what Cry Wolf should have been for this. Um, it would have made a perfect track 10 in its conventional sense, as in the last track on an album, because um, it, it's a brilliant closer as far as I'm concerned. But I, I'll be honest with you, I don't tire of this album at all. I get it. I when, I get why you two are going, right, okay, well, it's not that the last two tracks are bad. It's that no. actually we've heard a version of this now for quite a long time. I'm full up. It's that, isn't it? I'm fu- yeah. It's not that it. It's not that I find it emptying or empty. It's I'm full up, but I'm a big boy. I I, I like to gorge myself, and I'm <laughs> and and to be fair, you're only gorging yourself for sort of forty five minutes. So it's not it's not a yeah. massive. You, you're not a, you're not going to go overweight on this. Either. There's no obesity <laughs> issues at the end of it. So um, it's uh... how far are we going to take this analogy? I wonder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 Uh, Richard Savers, Savers from this food. For me, it, did, it started to fade. So I am where I am is okay. Cry Wolf, yeah, I, I I started to tire a bit. Under the Gun, I felt was repetitive. It sounded a bit too similar to I am what I am. I don't mind Rivers of Tears. I mean, she does these ballads very, very well. I actually think I'd have cut out a couple of the others. I'd have finished with Rivers of Tears. Okay. Uh, I, I, I think it, it closed the album nicely. I mean, when Biss Alps looked closer than Blood, I mean, she puts these things on for a reason. But yeah, as I said, that final third for me, it just tails off a little overall. Yeah, R- River of Tears probably is fur in there, isn't it, in terms of that's the final track on the album. It's not mm. It's not as good, but it is the album's power ballad, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Nice number, I agree. Yeah, Under the Gun is perhaps the one that um, seems slightly superfluous. But that's really unfair because it's still a good listen. Although even Doro sounds like she needs a breather during Under the Gun. I think she sounds mm. really sort of exhausted. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's been going a hell of a lick, hasn't she? Yeah. Since, and it's such a distinctive voice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, talking about Bis Alf's Blut, do, have you put this through Google Translate? No, Wikipedia does it for me. I think this is her love song to Warlock, isn't it? Oh, possibly. It's oh, her farewell, yeah. I suspect. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
She'd have known by then, yeah. Yeah. Because she did fight for the rights, didn't she? She got them back about 20 years later, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah. It's an odd end, and it it doesn't quite work, but it's not as odd as track one, which does not work at all. Force majeure, there you go, by Doro. Highs and lows, what you got? It's really tough finding a, a low unless you go for track one, which is the obvious one to go. I mean, it is the low. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I'm trying to ignore it as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, um, but, know. you know, it's on the album, so you have to say, yeah. well, that's the low point. Richard? Yeah, what I showed the pale is, is the low. And as I said earlier, what World Gone Wild gets at my heart. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? When we, when we go through our lows on all these albums, we always sort of preface them with I think or it might be. There's just no doubt with this. Is there? <laughs> There's absolutely no doubt. Um, save My Soul all day long. And there's some high marks on there and um it does well to uh, to get to get top of the shop brilliant force majeure love that that's doro done so two down three to go album three now then fucking hell robert plant and not his first album i don't believe in his solo career but uh, a man who could tell us more is richard no not his first second it was actually it was actually his fifth studio album as a as a solo artist and i mean it came um in after you know things like pixel 11 and now and zen and it was an album that i think he embraced his past more and also it embraced the present in terms of seeing what was around him at the time but we'll talk more about that in a minute opening album sleeve notes uh some nuts and bolts it was released on 19th of march 1990 uh, recorded through 1989 uh, released on well i think officially the esperanza out uh, label which is part of atlantic a little under 45 minutes or so uh, in length produced by robert plant with phil johnston and mark stent recorded at olympic studios it uh, followed now and zen and uh, the album that followed it was fate of nations and uh, plant surrounded himself with um, some uh, you know some relatively unknown but but certainly very talented uh, musicians charlie jones was on bass phil johnson on keyboards and guitar chris blackwell on drums and guitars presumably not at the same time uh, and uh, doug boyle on on lead guitar chart wise it did pretty well 13 in the us 15 in the uk and it uh, got a gold in the US and track wise uh, there are 10 5 on each side uh, side 1 Hurting Kind uh, then Big Love S and Q I Cried and Nirvana side 2 Tie Dye on the Highway Your Ma Said You Cried In Your Suit Last Night Anniversary Liars Dance and Watching You I really enjoyed going back to this it re- I bought it when it came out and uh, I've, I've always had a soft spot for it. I, I don't know about you two. I don't know how well you knew it or what your first impressions were. No, I didn't know. Didn't know at all. First time I slapped it on, hand on heart, and not for the reasons you think. I felt quite deflated, but not because I didn't like it, just because I thought, oh, for fuck me, I'm going to have to work at this. That's that's the problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I felt exactly the same, funny enough, when I, when I first stuck on um, walking into Clarksdale and the last two Zeppelin albums where if I'm honest you're not quite when you play it through for the first time and you're not quite sure what to expect from the next track and that's definitely what I've got here mm-hmm. Mark you hit the na- Mark, you hit the nail on the head when you said the, the definition for eclectic is what this album is because it's what it is it's just, to me some of it works some doesn't it's as simple as that some of it's almost too clever by half but there's something about, there's something of the emperor's new clothes about plant or indeed anyone associated with Zeppelin because they are gods I mean and, and we rightly 
worship at their very feet. Plant could record half an hour of blowing his nose and it would go platinum because he's got that many fans and we all adore what he does. But with some of the stuff on here, and there's a couple of tracks in particular, you just wished, and it was never going to happen, but you just wished someone had taken him to one side and said, you know what, Purse, this is actually shite. And um, can we just bin it? But th that was never, ever going to happen. Um, only a couple, <laughs> as I say, but it, it, it's, it's, it needed to say that deflation has now been since replaced on many, many listens with utter fascination. Fascinating doesn't always equal entertaining it's hugely interesting there are two or three great songs on here two or three absolutely great songs on here and a couple that you know just leave me cold and, and oh it's brilliant pick for, for, for those very reasons mm -hmm. that i'm sitting here now and still can't wait to play it again to almost figure it out yeah. and i don't think i ever will <laughs> well the members of led zeppelin are gods but yeah. in many ways they are only gods when they're in the same room together <laughs> and I think you're right, Steve. I think there's an awful lot of Emperor's New Clothes around each one of them, with the possible exception of Bonzo, who didn't live long enough tragically no. for us to yeah. find out anything different. But you say that you, you had this sense of fascination. I had the sense of another word that begins with F and ends in Asian, and it's frustration. Uh. Um, <laughs> because I don't like this album at all. I no. really don't. I don't get on with it at all. I, I, I've never heard it. For me, it's it's at least three years out of date. Um, in some cases, some places it's five. There are times when it sounds like a Janet Jackson album uh, or an In Excess album. And I think part of the problem for me is, is that I realise that in saying that, I'm being quite unfair because if this had been released by anybody else, children of a, a child of a lesser God, I would have been thinking, actually, you know, that's a, that's not a bad stab. At, you know, that's pretty good level of musicianship. Look, don't get me wrong. Composition-wise, you know, in terms of the experimentation, the fact that he's prepared to play with stuff, absolutely fine. But I think we have to hold Robert Plant to a higher standard than he meets here. And the first three tracks on this album, I can't tell you how much I loathe them. I just hate them with an absolute <laughs> Brilliant. But, but... Then you're right, Steve, and they're probably different songs to the ones that you, you, you are referencing. Then there are two or three where you go, now that is what a Robert Plant album should sound like. And my context for all of this is, when you talk about the last two Led Zeppelin albums, Steve, which two are you talking Are you talking about In Through, in the, through Outdoor the Outdoor and Presence? Uh, and Presence? Mm -hmm. Right, so I would count the last two albums somewhat mischievously as Presence and Coda. Yeah, okay. Um, now, I love Coda. Uh, lots of Led Zeppelin fans hate it. I like Coda. I loved um, Pictures at 11. I liked Principle of Moments. I didn't like it as much as Pictures at 11. I didn't like Shaken and Stirred, and I didn't much like um, Now and Zen. However, three years after this one, he comes up with Face of Nations that I think is an absolutely colossal album. So it's not an anti-Robert Plant thing, because I love Robert Plant. Mm. I just I just think this this album, maybe it's me, but he but he doesn't know what he's you don't know what you're doing. That's the problem with this album for me. Oh, this is gonna be fun. Yeah. Yeah, it is going to be fun because because I, I think he he got his mojo back with this album. I I think he actually embraced his past. Um, it, I think his his you know his singing. It's it, I I love his voice throughout this album, and I think in terms of embracing what Zeppelin were about, in terms of borrowing what was around him, you know, like they did around them at the time, 
And yeah, you don't know where it's going next. And sometimes no. it's hits and sometimes it's yes. misses. You know? Yeah. Uh, Do but, you know, I completely you know. take that, Richard. But I I think that the difference, personally, um, and uh, you know, I accept that you two may well have a different view of this, but I think the difference between Zeppelin kind of hovering above everything and going, right, we're going to have a bit of that, and we have a bit of that, and we'll take some of that, and we'll do this, and, and all of that influence coalescing mm-hmm. into something like Zeppelin 2 or Zeppelin 3 or Zeppelin 4 or Houses of the Holy or Physical Graffiti, and I'll stop there. I think that's one thing. But when you've got somebody like Robert Plant who is borrowing from stuff that wasn't very good to begin with and he's not improving it, which is where I think we are, <laughs> um, then that's the, then then frankly fuck your experimentation just give me a proper robert plant <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there were there were moments there were moments when i was i was sense i was absolutely echoing those very thoughts i was there were times in this and i was thinking for god's sake you, you know you're just trying to you're trying a bit too hard here and that's what you that's have it. to you have to work your way through it but you're not going to work your way through it if you don't like it but i've warmed to two or three of these songs and there was a couple of aspects but and when he does defer and refer to Zeppelin. This is genius. Um, but then that's what we, he's a, such a talented man and he can obviously do things and, and he wants to show off. And I get that. But with all respect, Robert, we want to hear you do Zeppelin stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm, am I alone in that? <laughs> well, I, d- I don't necessarily want him to do Zeppelin stuff. I want him to surprise me with something that I. I mean, he does surprise me well, on I'm this, surprised not this. in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> but but I want him to. I, I want him to do stuff and to go. Fuck me, that's genius. Oh yeah. my god, that's really good. That's really clever. Or, wow, I didn't. I didn't ex- to to have the. Exp- I think it's not about him doing Zeppelin songs. It's about for me having the experience of listening to Led Zeppelin because that's what Zeppelin did all the time. Mm. All the time, they would do something, and you'd go, "Bloody hell, I didn't see that coming." Or that's really clever or wow and it, it, and that's done on a, a skiffle board or whatever it is you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. but this he does something i go fuck me i didn't see that coming and i wish it hadn't come <laughs> you know i wish he, i wish he'd just not bothered going down that road right so so you want you want him to surprise you with things that you like <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah yeah and he doesn't do that on this album no all right uh, I, I think it. I think it is. It, I think it is a challenging listen. For that, I applaud him. So this is going to be interesting. My dream, she's the girl of my mind. She's playing me for a fool because she's the hunting kind.
let's uh, get on with talking about side one. All right then, so side one, uh, as we said, five tracks, uh, Hurting Kind, Big Love, SSS and QI Cried, and Nirvana um, starts off with Hurting Kind, Eyes on You, so which kicks off a, a nice old rate. I mean, so, yeah, so for me, isn't this Led Zeppelin for the 90s, Mark? No, it's not. It's not. It's it's just fucking lazy. <laughs> it's puerile and lazy. And if this is the best that we can expect from Robert Plant in the you know 90s, which thankfully it's not, then the world is in for a rough and, and dangerous ride because this is just this is the kind of stuff that I expect to be hearing from I don't know Andy Taylor. <laughs> 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 Seriously, I'm not, you know, I'm not being contrary for the sake of it. I think this is just bloody lazy. I really do. Huh. I disagree. I, 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 no I think it's lots of fun. It, I love the stops, the starts, switches. It's got a lovely riff glue it all together. I think it's a really good style. It's very different. Steve, yeah. what yeah. do you think? Yeah, but Losfa was it? But Losfa was a, was was ridiculed as well for being ridiculous. I have to say, I really like this. I, I do think this is a really good opener. Um, Plant singing in that kind of faux rockabilly, post-Zeppelin way. Um, there's a slightly corny midsection which where he goes a little, where Plant certainly goes a little bit diva. But boy, they bring it back, drive it to the line. I, I think it's a really lively opening. And I'm really hopeful for the album at this stage. I'm not mm-hmm. waiting for side two and thinking, oh shit, what's next? Which, because of what happens on side two, I will be thinking from then on. But, um, <laughs> no, I, lo- I like Hurting Kind. I think it's a great. Ah, good. Good. I'm glad there's some sanity in this uh, in this group. <laughs> yes, the, the midsection presumably lasting four minutes and eleven seconds. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's followed by uh, by Big Love. Some big drums introducing Big Love. What I like about this album is is the fact that how the the music sort of stripped back a bit. So I, I think it's great how it, it gives Plant's voice real room to breathe and soar. Great groove on the drums, uh, some nice little vocals and uh, some nice words, including I stopped in the same room as Jimmy Page, sort of references to his old life. I think there's some tongue in cheek here. And I think he's found his fun. Uh, you know, and, and he's having a good time on this album. I think you're taking him too seriously, Mark. You can't take this song seriously, can you? It's an absolute massive piss take, isn't it? It's just smut on a on a on a top level, and um, a few lads having a laugh. I don't. It's funny what you're saying about Robert Plant's voice, which you know, obviously we all love to bits. On this song, I, I don't quite know why he's doing the sort of cross between sort of Stephen Tyler and Diamond Dave. This is the sort of song that Aerosmith would have turned their noses up at, in my opinion. It's you know loads of decent enough musicality. Obviously, I just find it quite irritating on many levels. And interestingly, Plant's voice is the instigator, the initiator of that okay. irritation um, on this song alone, especially after what went before. Mark. Um, <laughs> if you want smut, well, you know, you had a bit of a problem, Richard, with Down and Dirty, and I have a bit of a problem with this for exactly the same reasons. I think he's above this. If he wants to do smut and humour, then give me the lemon song <laughs> or whole lot of love or whatever it might be something with a bit more creativity and a bit more ambition than this piece of crap really (laughs) honestly i just think it's awful i just and it's because i don't expect it i I expect him to 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 be delivering more than than he does on this this is just this could be done by anybody it's this isn't awful awful awful's yet to come 
<laughs> oh yeah, it is. It is. We're 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 only just plumbing the depths of all of it. Oh great! Oh great! Going to enjoy the rest of this episode, right? Track three, S S and Q. So this one, funk, blues, rock. A catchy rhythm, hooky chorus. What's not to like about this one? Oh fucking hell! This is it. This is the one. This is the this is this, the bottom of the barrel. It's like fucking. This, was, this is like it sounds like extreme being rogered by the Mary Jane girls. It almost no, beggars belief. It's, even, it's, 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 it's it's worse than that. He's dead, Steve. Dead, Steve. Dead, Steve. It's it's it's. This was done. Four years previously by Janet Jackson, it was called What Have You Done For Me Lately? Ah. It is absolutely <sighs> appalling. It's, this this album starts, for me, starts badly, gets worse, and then hits bottom pretty quickly. Richard, we're right. We're so, right on this luckily, one, Richard. We are right on this. <laughs> luckily, it gets, uh, luckily, it does improve. I, I, I like this. I don't have a problem <laughs> with it at all. Uh, I'm, I'm obviously seeing something in this that you two are. Okay, well, let's keep going. Oh dear! Right, track four. I cried. Um, Hooray! <laughs> At last, Robert Plant's arrived. It is true. Go on, Mark. Say something nice. Okay, so so this for me is a proper Robert Plant song. He gives it the full beans with his voice. Bear in mind, I'm now going to wax lyrical. And it's all completely out of proportion. I understand that. But I'm so relieved by the time I get to track four that we've actually got a proper Robert Plant song on the album that I'm probably going to over-egg this souffle. (laughs) But for me, this is where we, we get a bit... Uh, quite a lot of heart his his voice is really you know the, it's the robert plant that we've come to know and love through led zeppelin and particularly on the first two solo albums pictures 11 and principle moments where it is just a bit stripped back it's a bit plaintive and i think it's it's got some nice clever arrangements and it's everything that i want from him which is just to push the boundaries a bit and be a bit more ambitious, no, a lot more ambitious than he was on the first three tracks. My my issue with the first three tracks, for all of my pejorative languages, they are songs that anybody could do. That's my issue with this album, is that it's not about whether the songs are good or bad. It's about whether they are good or bad Robert Plant songs. And I don't think the first three are, whereas I think this one is. See, that's really odd, because I, I, I would never question the creativity of those first three album, uh, those first three tracks. It's just how two of them finished up that, that, that bothers me. I'm desperate to toe the, the middle line here between you two, because I really like a lot. But having admired much of the innovation and creativity that Mark's kind of slightly more wary of, I think it's there. This, I like for all the wrong reasons, therefore, because it takes me back to Led Zeppelin 3. And you, and I'm immediately warm and comfortable and thankful for this song, you know? The music's just slightly trippy. <laughs> Percy plays it straight, emoting the way he does. And he does that superbly, especially at the back end. So I love this, and, and, I, and I make no apology for the fact that I know mm. why I love it. Um, but I have, I, I've, I've warmed to some of the other stuff on here as well. So it would be unfair to say I just want Set Zeppelin revisited because I don't. Because that, that would be to denigrate Robert Plant, who's clearly much better than doing just that. And the first two albums were not Led Zeppelin revisited, and I love them. Mm. So I'm not looking for that either. But I would, if, if I've got the choice between the first three tracks, which are nothing like Led Zeppelin, and 
this and and she cried, which is a lot like Led yeah. Zeppelin. Ultimately, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I get that. I would get that. Yeah. And it's, uh, I, I think, I cried is great. I mean, it's one of my highest scorers. Uh, so I'm, I'm with you both on that. I think where we disagree is I, I really, I really like the experimentation he does elsewhere on the album. So, all right, well, let's talk about the closer, which uh, is uh, well, kind of a title track, I suppose. It's called called Nirvana, and well. <laughs> I shudder to think what you're going to say, because this one has got a whole load of stuff in it, a bit post-punk, a bit of funk. I mean, I've got hippy-trippy post-punk funk was my one-liner for for, for Nirvana. Mm. I mean, it's a good fast end, loads of energy. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's a strong finish to side one. <laughs> Who knows where you two are on this one? Well, I don't think I don't particularly I don't think it's an amazing song at all. I certainly don't think it's that strong a finish. Um, I don't mind it, and I, as I said, as I've said before, I don't mind some of the experimentation. This is putting your work up in progress, and that's fine. You know, getting marks for marks for your working out, and it is a barrage of styles, certainly. Um, something you know, something quite funky and dark. It's it's absolutely fine. It's like Zeppelin does. You two meets the alarm, which sounds better than it actually is. I, I quite like it. It's an. It could be done by Ian Excess. It's. It's. I, I don't actually mind it, but there's nothing new in this. We've heard all this ten years before. No, three years before, four years before. It's. It's fine. The the best thing about this song is his voice. I think his voice is is right on it on this mm-hmm. song, and that kind of saves it a bit. I think. So it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I like what what I find refreshing about this album is is the fact that his voice. Is you know, being surrounded by some different noises, different mm. tracks, different mm-hmm. sounds. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, and yeah, I, I get. Do you know what? I get that. I, I do get that. I get that. Yeah, he does experiment. He's always experimented. Some experiments end up more successful mm. than others. I guess. Okay. And and this for me doesn't no. doesn't as an as a complete piece of work doesn't do it. Oh no! Well, that's what these podcasts are for. I'm quite surprised, but there we go. Let's flip it over and uh, go through side two. So five tracks again on side two, Toad Eye on the Highway, Yamar said he cried to sleep last night, Anniversary, Liars Dance and Watching You. So what about the opener, the Tide Eye on the Highway? So opens with some actual sound recorded at Woodstock. Um, right. I mean, very, I, mean, I find it very Aerosmith-like in terms of that 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 groove. I didn't know that about the uh, the opening words. I didn't know that, where that was um, sampled from. Uh, yeah, one of the best things on here, Richard, if I'm honest. Um, they've got that sort of right hooky riff, and hallelujah, they stick with it and just kind of give us this kind of proper 70s sound, updated, of course, but there's a 70s feel to it, a 70s rock song, and it just rocks. And I've got, I've got no problem with this. I think it's a really good song. And neither do I. And I think this for me, typifies or exemplifies what I've been saying, which is that this is, Robert Plant, take a whole load of other stuff and using it as a sort of a springboard to do something different. Mm. And But this is done in a really good way. And uh, you're probably going to go back to your, so you want him to do something different as long as you like it. But yeah, this is a lot closer to late period Led Zeppelin, which obviously I'm going to like. But I this this for me, they've he's taken some stuff and done something different. I love this. Okay. This is great. And I'm with you, Steve. I think it's the pick of the album. Right. Track two, side two. Genius. Which is a cover. A cover of uh, a song first recorded by Kenny Dino in 1961. It's uh, Yamar said you cried in your sleep last night. And um, I don't know. I, I was never sure about this sort of keenness to uh, have scratchy records, even when you're listening to a 
CD <laughs> or a digital copy, but because uh, so, this has got this sort of constant record scratching throughout. But it was actually the drum sample off of the original Kenny Dino song, including the scratching. And um, we talked earlier about uh, Why the Shade of Pale and how do you do a cover? I think when you create something totally different like this, that's how you do a cover. Yeah, echo that, absolutely. And also what you were saying about the sort of scratching sound, Richard, if you're, if you're buying into this whole innovation thing, that's fine. It's just, it's, just, it's just something else to challenge you on a track, on a Robert Plant album. No problem with that at all. I love this. I think this is such great fun. I love those sort of Bananarama backing vocals. I mean, I love Bananarama anyway, but I think this is absolutely fabulous. Yeah, pushing hard for track of the album again. So I'm quite happy with the opening of side two i think it's i think it's a really strong opening couple of tracks mm. and yeah this is loads of fun loads of bounce in it and it's got loads of percy doing being percy brilliant and yeah if you're going to do a cover do it like this and then we're into the uh last third or so of the album uh last three tracks which i mean for me i i find this again and this is an album that does tail off so uh i'm an anniversary not so much going on and again there's bits of top gun theme for me that's interesting. Um, yeah. Liar's Dance. I think we're back then to what could pass for Zeppelin almost. Uh, and watching you, they go for the big expansive finish, but I find it isn't as strong as, as the other songs. What about the final trio from you two? The last three for me are better than the first three for sure. Okay. Interesting. Because they're more interesting. They're, I mean, that's a good word. <laughs> it's interesting <laughs> because they're interesting. There, there is something going on in these tracks that that is a little, but it is about ambition for me. This this album, and I think the first third of the album just lacks ambition. And whether or not the stuff works in the back half of the album or not, at least it's a bit more ambitious than the opening was. So yeah, I prefer side two of this album to side one for sure. Mm. Do I love Liars Dance? I think that's a sort of again, it's a splash of Led Zeppelin three a little bit, yeah. you know. Yeah. And um, I don't mind that. It's a, I think it's quite a classy little number. Watching you, I think, is a really fitting sign off because it's kind of the last in a series of sort of over dramatics, almost melodramatic kind of mini operatic pseudo epics, all wrapped up in whatever it is, four minutes. There's so much power in it and, and passion but I, so I, I don't mind that at all the one i struggled with really is anniversary which is such an oddity mm. i'm not I mean, i'm still it's one of those tracks i'm still not sure whether it's amazing or dull i don't know and i'm and stop trying to sound like bloody bono he doesn't he doesn't need to um which he does <laughs> on anniversary um i get it it kind of builds and it sways and it swoons and i i, I kind of usually like that concept but not so much with anniversary i mean i'm wondering mark given what you're saying about about the highlights, whether you're picking the songs that are probably are closer to a, a number of his solo albums that preceded this, where I think he, he did on those those open three tracks really try and push in a different direction. But no, there's yeah. been a fascinating discussion. Um, so, better have some highs and lows. Steve, do you want to go first? I've given um, three eights, and I would probably say Hurting Kind. I think it's a great start. I really do. I do like that. As for the weak point, and I also, do you know what it means? It's SS and Q, by the way. But do you know what it stands for? I mean, I've got a clue. Oh, yeah. It's allegedly soak, shake, splash and quake. Okay. Allegedly. Well, I, th- I thought one of those SS was shite. But anyway, it's, um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's my That's my week. Yeah. That's my week. Okay, yeah. Mark. Shit. Shit, 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 quite. <laughs> um, SSSQ is my weak point for sure. I think I would probably plump for, they're very close in terms of scores. 
I think I, I'm going tie-dye on the highway. Okay. The SSS and Q is my joint low scorer with anniversary. And uh, I will give my high to I cried. Well, that was fascinating. Uh, so, yeah, that's Robert Plant's uh, Manic Nirvana rounding off our trio of solo artist albums, Doro and Andy Taylor being the other two. So uh, the next stage of this is, as we do on each episode, score every one of these track by track. We'll see you in a second. Reviews complete. Initializing rating process. Okay, so let's see where these three have landed. Uh, We started with my choice, which was Andy Taylor's 1987 debut album, Thunder. Well, uh, it fared probably a little worse than I was expecting, but not far off. Um, Steve, you gave it a 5.7. I gave it a 6.6. And Richie, you gave it a 6.3, which is pretty much... Uh, where uh, I kind of figured the three of us would be in terms of who liked it most, who liked it least, who liked it in the middle, uh, for an average album score of 6.25185. Steve, how did Doro get on? Um, yeah, a little bit. There's was, there was an experiment here I should have done, and I've forgotten to do it, um, which is take out a whiter shade of pale and see how Force Majeure would have done, because it scored five, three, and four from the three of us. But with that in, um, the scores were thus. Richard, you go at 6.6. Um, I gave it 7.45, and Mark, you gave it 7.6. For a a final score of 7.25, as I say, it it would have been considerably more than that, I'm sure, if they'd not had a white shade of pale on there, but maybe we'll do those maths sometime. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've got them here. So if if I've done this right, if if we exclude white shade of pale, it would have averaged uh, 7.54. See, that's that's 0.3 of a difference, isn't it? Three tenths. That's um, a sizable bit. Okay, then, um, Richard, Manic Nirvana. Actually, d- despite um, uh, his uh, criticism yes. of the start of the <laughs> album, um, yeah, Mark did like the second half, and, uh, and Mark, Mark gave Manic Nirvana a 7.28. Steve, you gave it a 6.9, and I guess not surprisingly, I gave it a slightly higher score of a 7.4, and that meant Manic Nirvana got an overall of 7.19 and a bit. Right, so none of these are going to be challenging for anything like the upper reaches of the Hall of Fame. Uh, But let's go over there now and see where they've ended up. It's time to put the rock in a hard place. Opening the Hall of Fame. So we've got 216 albums in our Hall of Fame. Three more out of this evening. Let's let's just say that the top 10 is not challenged. The top 10 that sits um, back in black by ACDC. Astride the list, um, Ride the Lightning, Metallica, and Led Zeppelin fours. Led, Ze- Led Zeppelin and Led Zeppelin four. Um, that forms the top three. As I say, this lot, fucking no chance, nowhere near it. The pick of the three um, was Force Majeure by Doro, seven point two five, which gets it in at um, an august one hundred and forty four. Followed not far down the list by Manic Nirvana, Robert Plant, seven point one nine three three. And if Mark will bring members of Duran Duran to the party, Thunder and Andy Taylor is got in at two hundred and six, which means um, it's actually worse than Grave Diggers War Games with a score of six point two five. It's been quite a show. It's been such a fun show. It's you kind of you kind of knew it almost doesn't matter, does it? Because you knew that they. I mean, Richard probably thought higher things of Manic Nirvana, but um, I think yeah, it's been good fun slaughtering these. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you something. Okay, we we always talk, don't we, about how 
one misstep it really does for an album and you'll see uh, not you listeners dear um but you two will see that i have marked with a purple square where doro would have been had she not put that track on the album yeah yeah it cost Ooh, her 97 yeah, it cost her yeah. 50 places wow yeah, wow yeah. wow yeah a place in the top 100 yeah right below warlock true indeed steel, yeah enough yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's not to be. But it's not to be. Hey-ho. Right, we move on. We move on to episode 73 next time out, which means that we need a new theme. And thankfully, Tico Torres, our tombola of topics and themes, has spat out the subject matter um, for the next episode of the pod. And correct me if I'm wrong, but he spat out death. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. He did. He did. He did. Good stuff. So then, round the table. What do we bring into the party next time? Death. It just reeks heavy metal, doesn't it? I bet some goodies. Richard, where'd you, where'd you go with this? What are you going to do? I'm going for death and uh, and doom. And oh, I like um, the sound of this. <laughs> and uh, well, yeah, the subject matter and uh, and also uh, the the skull on the cover and uh, the debut album of the Swedish doom metal band Candlemass. And I've chosen Epicus Doomicus Metallicus. <laughs> Wow, 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 that's brilliant. Ooh. I thought as soon as you mentioned the skull, I thought he's going to go, um, killing is my business. That's what I, that's what I could have sworn that's where you were going to go. Weird. Okay, Mark. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've gone for... <laughs> oh, yes, indeedy. I've also gone for Doom and Death um, with uh, Witchfinder General's 1982 album that I bought... On the strength of the cover alone. And yeah, if you've got yeah, it, you'll yeah. know why. Um, death penalty. Brilliant. Well, well, well. Well, I've, I've gone for some proper old school, yeah, death metal as well. Um, I couldn't resist. We haven't had much. Now we're going to get an absolute orgy of the stuff, which is fantastic. Um, and I've gone for one of the most acclaimed death metal albums of all time, as far as I'm concerned, um, which is uh, Wolverine Blues from um, Entombed. Um, so, yeah. You'll enjoy that. Oh, that is going to be mental. I mean, <laughs> wow, wow. Well, it's too late. The cat's out the hat. We're doing it, yeah. and um, and and death is death is the subject, and <laughs> it will be the death of us all. But um, it should be it should be an absolute giggle. Right, I reckon that's probably done and dusted. Check out the website www.entersadmin.co.uk. See what we're doing. See what we're up to. And until next time, thanks for your company. This has been a blast. I'm sure next time will be as well. All the best. Cheers. All music clips featured in the Enter Sad Men podcast appear within the context of criticism and or commentary, and as such are used under the fair use provisions of the exceptions to copyright rules of UK and international copyright law. To make sure the rock rolls forever on, Mark, Steve, and Rich urge all their listeners to show their love and support for the artists and writers featured on the show by purchasing the original music or subscribing to a licensed and regulated streaming service.